in the day cuando era un niño. Someone in the crowd might have looked at me fail. With an evil eye, abuela called it ojo. Reached in the fridge and took out a huevo. Sign of the cross with the egg as a remedy. Rub it on my body to remove the bad energy. Pray out loud so we can all hear it. Egg underneath the bed to absorb the evil spirits. The wind blew, the house shook. I laid back with candles, the rosary, and the sage plant. Sana, sana, fixed vapor rub on my chest. Fell asleep and woke up in a puddle of sweat. Felt better after shaking the omen. Zone floated on the earth that I'm roaming. In the Americas, some call it folklore. I'm well, I broke the egg, now I'm free from all And bloodline to, to the test. test when one is jealous of another success. Family, friends, associates, and neighbors can all result to bevel when chasing after paper. Friends and enemies, good and bad energy, mal de ojo, affecting culture, psychology. Bad vibes can damage you and your circle. Wrong intentions from so called friends can hurt you. Watch the life you're living, keep them at a distance. They'd rather see you missing than healthy and uplifted. So you get this chance in this life to make a difference. People that surround you will affect conditions. Live in space positive. How I live, yes, I try to. Whether stormy, gray day or outside, sky blue. Work through the pain from the out and the inside. Embrace the joy and avoid the evil eye. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thank you for tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, your community station. Today, we're going to prove why the term illegal alien is dehumanizing and discriminatory. You may have heard that the Biden administration will expunge that terrible phrase from its different laws, regulations, and policies, which is a very important move, especially to our community. To add more of a context for you, we're going to bring in journalist Russell Contreras, who is the Justice and Race Reporter for Axios and National Board Certified Immigration Attorney Carolina Ortuzar-Diaz from the law firm of Monty and Ramirez. They're going to provide a journalistic perspective and a legal perspective, and I'm going to bring it to you from the community side. But let me stress, the term illegal alien is not only imprecise, it is discriminatory and in the worst case situation shows that someone is racist and in the best case scenario shows that someone doesn't know what they're talking about. In between, you're revealing your biases. Can we eliminate it? Hey, language is more complex. However, there should not be a governmental source to give credence to folks who will use that terrible phrase. We're getting into a deep discussion about how language works, how policy works, and how it affects our community, because that's what we do. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to thank our crew for bringing you the show week in, week out. Rodrigo Bravo mixes our show and takes us to all other platforms of the magical internet. Additionally, Gabriela Vasquez is our intern who is helping us reach a new generation of thinkers and intellectuals. And we also want to thank Roxana Guzman, who gets our signs out there, and Nathan Noble, who helps us on social media. And and you, dear listeners, please visit kpft.org and click on the donation button to make a contribution in the name of Latino Politics and News so that we can ensure that this wonderful experiment in free speech and deep thoughts continues. I'm Tony Diaz. Thanks for joining us.
Tuning into Latino politics and news. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are focusing on the Biden's administration's proposal to remove the term illegal alien from all official standards. And we're going to be talking to some experts as well as community members about this. Right now we're joined by Axios reporter for race and justice, Russell Contreras. Russell, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us again. Oh, good to be with you. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, I do have to add that I'm always arguing. It's usually right-wingers and unfortunately even some... I thought allies who are white liberals, they will point out that the term is used in the annals and the procedures of immigration, and they will point that out. And, of course, you know, this is typically when I'm on Fox 26 Houston, what's your point? Because there I have to deal with right-wingers, and then I have to tell them something like, well, yeah, of course, America also was making sure humans counted for three-fifths of other humans, so <laughs> you can't go by the book. I'm personally excited that the Biden administration wants to expunge that and talked about how that term is discriminatory. Now, it's, a, it's very much different for journalists who have to report. H how does that term work in the field of journalism, and what are some of the boundaries, and when do, when do journalists have to make that call, if they can at all, on using the term undocumented or illegal alien? Well, when I used to work for the Associated Press, this was a constant um, area of discussion in our Stalba committees, is what do we do to, to describe immigrants who enter the country without authorization, without permission, right? Enter it 
to mean that is a reality, but also not, quote unquote, legal under some sort of legal uh, pretense. So what the Biden administration is doing is going back and revising the way you refer to this population. Um, the word alien had been used for decades uh, and had never been challenged because those were legal documents. But society and journalism and the arts had changed and you were using words mm-hmm. long before <laughs> they stopped. Right. So, you know, in, in places like the Associated Press and other media outlets, there was robust debate on how we should do it. Should we follow the government's lead? Should we um, go with what society is? And what terms we sh- should we use to be fair? There weren't youth- euphemisms, right? So what the AP changed, they were no longer saying illegal immigrants, but they were saying immigrants in the country suspected of being suspected – immigrants in the country sus- suspected of being in the country illegally, right? So – if you're in a country and you did you were not authorized, but you were not been convicted under a court of law of being in here illegally, you really couldn't say illegal immigrant. Just like we don't say murderer. You say accused of murder, <laughs> right. accused of robbery, right? So if you're accused of some civil crime, whether it's criminal or not, wouldn't you have used the same term? So that was the um, determination that the Associated Press made. Immigrants in the country. Immigrants suspected of being in the country illegally is how you would refer it. But it's hard for a headline, right? You can't fit that. <laughs> it's crazy. not sexy. Right. 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 Now, yeah. you couldn't even say, I remember, I know a lot of my immigrant uh, advocates, friends, will say, why don't you talk to an immigrant? But that would, be a, that would be inaccurate, too, because you could be in the country with documents. They may now be documents that are authorized. They may be fake documents. <laughs> documents. Right? So... That's not accurate. So how do you describe people who entered the United States, you know, overstayed their visas, came through Tucson, came through Yuma, came through Columbus, New Mexico? How do you describe them in a humane but accurate way? And that debate has not been settled. I know, and I tried, I ride around it, I'll say, um, I say migrants, I'll say migrants in the country suspected, you know, whatever. And I, so that you know what I'm talking about. Um, and one of the things that I was, I also think that's going on in, in news media that we're finally having this discussion is when you write about immigrants, do not use bad weather metaphors. A flood of immigrants storming the gate, <laughs> oh, raining in on the streets. Right? Good because policy. Bad weather shows that you have to take shelter. Right? It's it's unfair. Now think of it the other way. What if I wrote a a sun ray of immigrants showed up? To you? <laughs> a I rainbow, mean, a rainbow, <laughs> a rainbow of migrants showed up to my house. You would say that I'm being unfair, that I'm being pro-immigrant, right? That I'm trying to, that I have an agenda. What's the difference between bad weather and good weather? There's no difference. So don't use any weather, right? Don't use that. So the, even the small things, that, I mean, the term about illegal, right, is far from the only discussion we should have in language. And you and I are both writers. We know the power of language. We have to really dissect all this because that those small languages are, are used to craft opinion and to push readers in a certain direction. And that, as journalists, is not our goal. We have to be accurate about what's going on. If there's a surge of birth, we have to we have to be honest and we have to tell our readers what's going on, whether it's the Obama administration, Trump administration, or the Biden administration. And, and those are fantastic points, especially coming from a journalistic side, talking about being a writer. A lot of this is humanizing our community. Now, people are used to this discussion when we're, bickering about well which identity term should we use and people are more accustomed to that this is parallel but i think as you alluded to is about humanizing us now if you if you call if you call folks illegal you're just probably just racist so that's that's me telling you you're not in this conversation (laughs) you're not going to listen to reason so that's all the way to one extreme this is in that nuanced area where I've had to talk to, uh, again, even our ally liberals, some lawyers, and I've told them, well, if you say illegal alien, that's a biased term already. Fundamentally, 
as you pointed out, there's other ways that people, you know, basically push the language one way. I, I think it's powerful that you point out, don't say flood of immigrants and so forth. Very on point. But the more difficult work is to humanize our community across the board because not only is it not accurate to say illegal aliens you also pointed out let's stop and say is someone undocumented or not uh, so for example if you are in daca i guess you're documented you're not a u.s citizen and we're going to talk to lawyers later because they're going to argue with that but they're documented yeah. now they have documents now they have paperwork that gives them some sort of temporary legal status, right? Those documents may expire, right? But then those documents that expire could be used in a legal case later to um, argue um, for an extension. So it's hard to use those terms. And I, and I will say that when we talk about these terms, and this is a debate that we're always having in the newsroom, um, we got to use language that's also accurate, even if it hurts. And one of the examples I was using for years, I, I would say, you know, the, we, we all were constantly talking about our wokeness and wokosos and everything else and trying to cancel language rather than doing hard work. I mean, if, if the fight is, is more intellectual, that's one thing. But if it's just on social media where you're doing nothing, you're just a Twitter gangster and you're, you're policing <laughs> things, as, as Gustavo Ariano says, they're wokoso, that's another. And I was joking with some folks saying, man, you know, if this was a time of abolition, we wouldn't be talking about abolition of slavery. We'd be talking about folks, let's not use the word slave or let's not use slavery. Let's just forced work or something, right? It would almost, I, I, you know, I, I joke and say that we wouldn't be pushing for the abolition of, of uh, enslaved people. We'd be just talking about terms. And sure enough, I wrote a few stories around about slavery, and I started getting pushback from historians saying, let's just use enslaved people. Let's, you know, move away from the word slavery. And at one point, if you're talking about peoplehood, I agree with you. I understand that. It's a, you're trying to humanize people that were in chains that were in horrific conditions. On the other hand, you have to be accurate about the, which were the conditions that they lived in and what they were called. Those words were used to dehumanize them because they were in a dehumanizing situation, right? And I'm very mixed on pulling back from those words and pulling back from that horror because it offends our sensibilities in 2021. I think we'd be accurate. We have to tell the truth, even when it hurts. And whether that influences public policy, that's another discussion, and that's beyond my pay grade. All I'm doing as a writer is painting what is before me and how it should be crafted. And if I use terms that are describing people in a human, humane way, are they being described that because they are in an inhumane condition? Is the condition that offends you, or is it the language? You have to decide that. You know, what's fascinating about the point you're making, again, we are pushing away a little bit from the regular discourse of journalism, and I'm dragging you there because, I mean, I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm a pundit. I'm a political activist, so I, I do give my opinion. I do stay within the confines right. of, you know, of certain areas, but what I want to add as a, as a writer, though, is that you make a great case for the hard work of language in that, parallel to your example, the the whole idea of dreamers and DACA recipients, that is interesting because we now know enough about that specific field of immigration that we can talk about them separate from the massive generalization. The massive generalization is complicated because and we ain't got time for this on this show, but we talk about over years. One, there is no line for fair immigration. And on the other extreme, too, if you are a DACA recipient, immigration laws are so complicated, you need two lawyers. You'll need an immigration lawyer and a criminal defense lawyer if, for example, you're on a DUI or something to that effect. That's how complicated these issues are. I hear you saying... We need to be smarter about these nuances and treat each segment as live individuals. And you're right. That takes research, time, and intelligence. And it takes compassion and it takes um, ethics to, to be honest with ourselves, right? 
yeah, we all have opinions. We're all going to come up to different political conclusions, and that's perfectly fine. But we also have to be honest about the causes and the conditions that we find ourselves in. Because after, after you and I go home, there's still some people in detention centers escaping something. They're still escaping poverty. Mm. They're still escaping violence. And before we can even, you know, we've already labeled them without them even talking about why they're here. And sometimes we just have to shut up and listen. Mm. Those are powerful words to end on. We've been talking with race and justice reporter for Axios, Russell Contreras. Thanks for taking the time to talk about this great issue, and thanks for your insights. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. You're tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are talking about the Biden's administration move to strike that terrible phrase, illegal alien, from the annals of the Immigration Department, of American laws, and of American minds. I can only hope. Of course, I am waning upon this poetically. We are bringing in a legal expert, and she is a partner at Monty and Ramirez Limited. She is a she is a partner at Monty. Yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. You are tuning into a Latino politics and news. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are taking head on the Biden administration's desire to eliminate the term 
illegal alien from the books. And today we're going to talk to a legal expert about this. I'm going to hit it like an activist and a writer, but to bring us a perspective from the law books, we have invited attorney Carolina Ortuzar Diaz, a partner at Monty and Ramirez. Welcome back to the radio program, Abogada Carolina. Thank you so much for inviting me. Pleasure, my pleasure to be here. And I do want to point out that you are a big advocate of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, as well as being involved in the community. So we've worked with you many times. Let's talk about this term. Now, personally, I am offended by the use of the term illegal or illegal aliens. But we're not going to go there because folks that are going to continue to use those words and actually even other terrible words, they're not going to change their minds. Now, I do want to address the folks who think that they can use this term because it exists in the rules and regulations of the immigration and uh, homeland security, etc. Because that's what I've heard from Republicans as well as some liberals who think that, well, I'm just using it from the legal uh, area. And I try to explain to them from my perspective, it reveals their bias. But there's more to it than that. So, first of all, give us an overview of what the Biden administration wants to do exactly. Because it hasn't been done. It's just being proposed. Right. Uh, the Biden administration is proposing to eliminate the words alien or illegal alien from all, I mean, different levels of laws, regulations, and policies, memorandums beginning with the most important r rule or, or law that applies to immigration, which is the Immigration and Nationality Act. And, um, it, 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 but this will basically, we will be a top, uh, top to bottom uh, everywhere, um, covering all aspects of immigration or, or possible immigration laws that includes codes as again regulations, deportations and policies and memorandums. Now currently the uh, new acting um, secretary for the uh, director of US citizenship and immigration services is instructing in an internal memorandum to go ahead and start you know eliminating the use of the word alien or undocumented alien internally and um, from going again to from this world word that describe people that are trying to immigrate into the United States as alien or illegal aliens from that to undocumented non-citizens or non-citizens. Now it's interesting you say well the law says this so you know it's correct but at the end of the day, we've already seen that uh, this change already happened in California in 2015, where they um, implemented this elimination and, and the codes and, and labor employment, you know, and, and labor specifically. And you have this problem about how do you describe a, a, an individual, a person, without putting this person into a category that connotates a criminal action or illegal action and bringing all that uh, potential bias or discrimination. And, and also, if I may also, I would say, you know, this terminology is hurtful. And, imp and it, it, it kind of just, even though when it's on the law, and then authorizing you somehow to, to to use this term in a harmful harmful manner, I guess um, it goes into every other aspect that we have in our lives and family law, right? And trials, we have very important precedents in Texas where you know the immigration status of a person should not be brought up because that brings what bias or some kind of um, view of the person that it should, shouldn't count when you are just trying to seek uh, reparation or some kind of relief in family criminal law, etc. That's fascinating. Now, of course, the bigger picture too is that we are, we've derived from a show, Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and it is 
great to think about, well, how are words formed? And there's a lot to it, like we've alluded to. We've kind of mentioned, well, this can start at the legal point, but it overlaps, like you say, into family law, etc. But I do want to go back to a couple things you brought up. I want to make something clear. If you use the word illegal alien, you are discriminating. You're discriminating. You're revealing your mind. That's me telling you that I'm offended by it. And I think when you say harmful, that is the case. It is offensive to some people and it dehumanizes our community. Now, at the top of the show, I mentioned some people are going to keep using it. We can't control that. But here we are beginning with a very specific point where people say, well, if it's in the law books, it's an appropriate term. I do remind folks that at one time we had laws about people being worth three-fifths of other people. So let's, you know, let's not pretend that laws are ethical and just all the time. But more importantly, I like what you've pointed out is that it can spill over to other areas of the law and legalities where things are unfair. That's really powerful. And, and it begins with the act, the very act that says who is a citizen or not. Let's go back to that center point. That's true. That's true. Because we're trying to describe a person uh, in a foreign national, right? Uh, could be documented, I guess, undocumented, or could be in process, or could be uh, someone that's authorized to be in the United States. Doesn't necessarily have to be illegal. Or wh- when do you stop being illegal or being in the process or being authorized? You know, that legality of your situation is complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, you do have several levels. Like when someone asks me, okay, well, what's the best situation for you to be from an immigration point of view? Okay, your goal is to be a U.S. citizen, right? With all the rights and benefits of being a, and obligations as well, right? To be a U.S. citizen. But then after that, you go down this little line that has less uh, rights or benefits, which is a permanent resident. So that's less than a US citizen and that, um, in, in terms of what kind of rights do you have, right? You don't have a right to vote or to elect officials or register to vote or leave outside of the country uh, without losing your status as a permanent resident, for instance. Well, you know, the other thing that you alluded to is that this also humanizes the process and people are not by default criminals right away because that's how it is in the courts. That's right. That's right. That's you, you basically have a right to due process and that right to due process is for everyone in the United States and that's not uh, differentiate and that's, that's important. I do believe in the system and I'm an attorney and I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I respect that process. And then you have someone with a status, right? Like, TPS, temporary protected status, or status as a, a person who's authorized to work on a temporary basis, uh, or a person who has a U visa, which was a person who. <laughs> this is complicated. Mean, the line is huge, right? I mean, the categories are, you know, not infinite, but there's, you have a lot of different situations in that category. And then you have something maybe. That goes it's a little lower than status that would be an authorization to be in the United States, like the DACA uh, recipients, DACA applicants. The, the, the children are being brought to the United States, meet certain requirements that are un, undocumented, maybe, maybe not anymore, right? Because they have, they have <laughs> DACA, they have the work permit, a permit. They, they, they are, they've gone through a process and they, the government knows everything about them. So, so that complicates the term documented because, as you're pointing out, they are in the systems. Uh, the government knows their name, uh, where they live, etc. And they have documents, I guess, because right? they can drive cars. Mm-hmm. They have work permits. They have an approval notice. Well, are they still non-citizens? Yes, they're still non-citizens. So that's the goal, right, that we want to achieve the American dream. At one point, and so no, that, no commentary. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as an immigrant, that's, that was my goal, and and I know many families and many people who makes a lot of efforts to get to that goal. But at the same time, getting there doesn't mean that you're illegal, right? 
or in the process, if you're in the process, you're for sure a non-citizen, maybe you are undocumented, uh, but still you have different categories and this description, I think, you know, it, it helps you to get away from that, I think, hurtful uh, terminology. Terms, words matter, right? And if we move into hurtful words or that terminology that could basically put a person in a situation that is doesn't describe really what it is and from that to a bit more customer service where we humanize that person and by the way this is a great discussion i'm glad that we can bring this to people on latino politics and news on kpft they can experience it live on the air they can go back to this people are going to go back to this to listen to this because this is not a cute slogan. So everything we said does not fit on a bumper sticker. The extremes and the dehumanization, that's a lot easier to get people mad about. And that's how people seem to be trying to gain power. This approach is really trying to say, well, here are actual people with different stories who fit into this legal system in different ways. And you're opening our eyes to the complexities of it and perhaps we as a as a society should strive to understand that better just at the very least to be more accurate but maybe to be more humane now let's go back to accuracy so then it sounds like you're saying to say that someone is illegal is very inaccurate because someone could be a foreign national or not a citizen of the u.s but not be breaking the law with their presence. Tell us some about those experience or those different gradations. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, situations you encounter are pretty impressive. Uh, situations where, for instance, a a person who's uh, trying to seek asylum in the United States is is traveling and is pregnant and has, and she happened to have the baby give birth at the border. Where was the baby born? Sometimes we just don't know, or she doesn't know. Was she born in the U.S.? Was she born in Mexico? And then, and the next problem is, how do you prove that? And and if you cannot prove that the person was born in the U.S., if you don't have any way of proving that she that little baby was from Mexico, where's that person from? You know, that's one of the situations. It's an existential and legal question. So <laughs> let, let's walk through that though. So. The person seeking, the parents seeking asylum, they may or may not have legal access to the nation. That has to be proven. And then you're saying as they cross these borders, because they are perhaps being persecuted for different reasons, they have to cross a line or not. And then the baby comes into this world somewhere geographically and someone who might want to argue would say well they would have a birth certificate wouldn't they how does that get come that's right you may not have a birth certificate that's <laughs> wow. what it is uh we've seen those uh cases hundreds of cases and maybe not thousands of cases of uh mexican nationals um maybe families coming to the united states with with visas with uh authorization to the united states to come to work um and the and the 20s, 30s, 40s, they are coming and tra traveling back and forth from Mexico, United States, as uh, working the labor, right? Uh, and moving within the United States from Texas to Florida to whatever, wherever they are needed. And we we've have situations where they're humble, um, they're, they're, they're traveling, they don't have access to a hospital, so they use a midwife. So the midwife will assist in the birth of a baby, maybe in the middle of nowhere, right? And then that's where we have a situation where a baby was born in the U.S. We don't have a birth certificate. And then we go through the process of trying to collect that information that prove up the, the actual birth of the baby. Where was the baby born? Well, the only person that knows where the baby was born was the mother. So what was the mother in the United States? Was she working? We don't have any documentation proving she was working. Would she go to hospital? No, she was through a midwife. Was the baby baptized in the United States? Yes. And that is the gold document, document that prove up um, 
and then it's been tested in court that if you have a baptismal certificate issued in the U.S., that would be sufficient evidence of being a U.S. citizen, right? Because, in fact, back in the day, that was the document that it was accepted at the border by CBP. So, so they will present a baptismal certificate, and that's, oh, yeah, you are a U.S. citizen. Come on in, right? That's all you needed at the time. Now, you need a passport, and then if you don't have a birth certificate, you were, if you were not born in a hospital, then you have to go through a challenge uh, process to prove that you were born, in fact, in the U.S., I'm going to stop you before we get into public charges, okay, because we want to narrow this down just to this particular nuance. You're listening to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We are talking to Abogada Carolina, Carolina Ortuzar Diaz from Monte and Ramirez. And we're walking through why it is such a big deal that the Biden administration wants to remove, and here I'm going to editorialize, that terrible discriminatory term illegal illegal alien or just plain alien which if you use it in my opinion you're revealing your bias that's the nicest way i can put it and then from there it gets discriminatory we're talking about why that's a big deal you mentioned several complicated uh issues let me ask you this then you mentioned the case of parteras or midwives and this brings up the whole issue of babies. If people are very basic, I'm trying to be nice, and insist on using the word illegal, it's not accurate to say that baby is illegal because I guess to break the law, you got to have intent, and that baby doesn't have any knowledge of the laws. So here you have a baby that might have been born, or let's just say was born in the U.S. to a midwife. They might not have the legal birth certificate you would expect. Why wouldn't those gente, and I know why, but let's talk about that. Why wouldn't those gente, those people, go to a doctor? Why wouldn't they go to the medical center, you know, down here in Memorial or whatnot to have that baby? Well, you need to go back to the time, right? The time that that was culturally the normal situation where because of their cultural uh, experiences, their mother never went to a doctor, right? So they they, they knew that was the way, uh, the most uh, normal or the common way of bringing um, their babies to birth with a midwife. They and and I'm going to interrupt you just for a little bit because yeah. just like the way burritos became raps, you know, now you have a movement where affluent people are going back to the midwife because they want that more natural experience. (laughs) Back in the day, that was how the Rasa did it, but go on. And and also, you know, what they used to do for a living. Remember, we're talking about people that were traveling, following the... the, the um, crops the up crops, and down. the agricultural, you know, uh, places where they were needed, picking certain products. So they, they would just go and follow that mm-hmm. season, you know. And Las piscas. So they had no access to a hospital. You know, they were in the middle of nowhere. So really. customs, right. there were migrant labor in the farm, rural areas. Right now we're looking Very at rural. the problem with rural access to hospitals because of the COVID epidemic. Mm-hmm. So if it's happening now, you're pointing out, especially back then, and especially to our community, either to customs, poverty, and the cost. They, I mean, they're not insured. Again, that's a problem coming up now. Not insured. Mm-hmm. Can they pay it? Do they believe in it? All those factors. You Little U.S. citizen comes into the world, but they don't have And And I think the paper. best way to uh, explain this, why is it hurtful? Why, why matters? There's something that uh, I, was, uh, I was born in Chile, and the and typically in Latin America and I think United States also for the longest time for the longest time there was a distinction between children born within the marriage of the parents and children born out of wet right and that was a huge distinction mm. it was called hijos legitimos hijos ilegitimos so we call that legitimation by the marriage of the parents that created huge 
differentiations between one and the other. If you were born uh, uh, in a, a you know outside of wedlock, outside of you didn't have rights to uh, inheritance, you know, rights to, uh, to you know the state. Um, the, you were looked at mm-hmm. in a different way. You were basically a lower second class citizen. second class citizen. Absolutely. So words matter. It should not be a distinction of children just because their parents were um, married or not married, right? I think that I think that should, should call your attention in terms of um, calling someone an illegal alien. It, it just uh, right out there. You you're you know putting that person in a position to explain, like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Why do you do this? Why are you breaking the law? Versus just talk, technically describing someone that is a foreign national, non citizen that is trying to pursue either asylum, refugee status, or a process by which they are going to uh, immigrate to the United States and doesn't necessarily need to be classified as a necessarily something illegal, right? I started the conversation by pointing out how use of the term illegal or legal alien reveals a person's bias, if they're discriminatory, etc. It appears that this can also reveal the ethos, ethics, or mindset of a nation. You pointed out in Chile their baggage about if someone was a legitimate child or not. I want to go back to uh, point out what the Trump administration was doing where reported cases where you had children who didn't speak the language in a courtroom trying to defend themselves. And we just pointed out earlier if breaking the law depends on intent children don't intend to break the law that was heinous to me to put children in that position but again they are then in caught in the crossfire of proving if they're legal or illegal and again to me i'm glad we're past that moment because that does reveal the the ethics of a nation but here we are still still walking through some of these nuances are there other examples then where Someone might be a U.S. citizen and not have well, como decimos en español, los papeles or their papers. <laughs> Actually, uh, there is more. I'm more. like, I, I didn't want to stump you. I'm like, there's surely more. there can't be more. The, I had a situation where I had to uh, assist someone who is, was a gypsy or oh, gitanos, right? They are a they live in their own little world. They're move around they don't follow the same rules that we follow in terms of you know going to a hospital or or registering birth or keeping paperwork with you because you move all, uh, so you completely so different much. culture customs um Custom, protocols and they were born in the u.s um, <laughs> i can tell you pretty clearly they were born in the u.s and their families were born in the u.s and, um, and unfortunately, there was also additional uh, situations, right, that they were affecting the family, there were divorces, separations maybe, were that my client was disconnected also from uh, a more, uh, you know, maybe a tra- traceable uh, paperwork, wow. right, where she could actually find out, you know, what was she born exactly, like any existential and legal questions <laughs> fascinating that's wow right. that's right so they are u.s by definition they're born here mm-hmm. u.s citizens but they didn't have the papers because of their customs and practices etc wow. exactly uh so there's plenty of situations where you don't you are a citizen even but uh you may not have what the documentation that you need to uh, either prove up your your citizen easily at least or in a traceable manner. Surely any reasonable person listening to this then can wrap their head around the fact that it is more accurate to describe folks as perhaps foreign nationals, non-citizens, or undocumented citizens because that then says there is this process to become 
U.S. citizens and navigate our countries, and that that could be within the realms of of legalities versus basically causing existential crises for individuals by saying you're legal and or revealing the ethos of our nation saying that we just want to dehumanize people in general. Um, so, so then going very back specifically, even in the, in the court of law then, it's not just one button that can be pushed to change this. Because you mentioned we started with the main law, but then there's policies, procedures. California, of That's course, right. was ahead of it. Um, I, I will say this for Texas. I, I was speaking with the former Supreme, Texas Supreme Court Justice David Medina, who had signed the opinion where Texas said you cannot use the term alien in the court in Texas. So that's fantastic for us, but we haven't gone as far as California then. So where else does the Biden administration have to scratch out this word? You're right. At the end of the day, I would say it's a cultural thing. Uh, uh, so you can change the law, you can eliminate this... Uh, harmful wordings, but at the end of the day, we, we hopefully, uh, you know, uh, as an attorney who represents people who are desperately to, <laughs> to to hear from immigration and have information about their case, customer service, right? That's what ideally this will go, uh, moving to like trying to just respect or trying to provide that customer service that we need everywhere, right? So when you call immigration, I, I mean, always had, uh, good, uh, you know, people on the other side of the call trying to uh, solve my problems, my clients' problems, but at the end of the day, if we are moving into this more inclusive, right, um, terminology, so that hopefully will show in practice. And as I said, look, we have, we're talking about the Immigration Nationality Act, which is the big, big, you know, profound law that, uh, uh, regulates the immigration um, laws in the United States, but then you have regulations and you have policies and you have memorandums. But then within the United States, you have internal correspondence, um, opinions and things like that. And then you move into your actual customer service that it is inclusive in a way of, in the way you practice, uh, you know, your, 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 on a daily basis, what you're doing from that customer service point of view. That would be excellent. That sounds great. And it sounds like, again, that would then take care of this in a very legal way, formal way. And from my experience, this seems to be the last bastion where folks that want to use the term can point to, let's eliminate that and and let's humanize people. Because for me, that's really what it is. Do you choose to humanize people or not? Again, when we step away from this as a writer, activist, I know there's just some people that are going to call us those terrible names. I'm a, I was born a Chicago fool, so if you don't know that's in America, that's, that's on you. But there's still people that might use that negative term on me, and there's other negative terms. We can't deal with those folks because they stereotype discriminate. However, now in this era where we, we demand to be humanized, the Biden administration is working towards that goal by getting rid of those terms. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for walking us through this. We're going to celebrate with you <laughs> if and when it happens. Uh, how soon you think it might happen? It's not going to happen in, in quickly, right? Well, in the short term, uh, we, will, we could see those changes, changes happening uh, at the policy level. But the law needs to be changed, or this terminology will have to change it through law. So we'll have to wait for Congress to act. And in the meantime, we can do our jobs and spread the word. We've been speaking with Abogada Carolina, Carolina Ortuzar-Diaz from the Monte and Ramirez Law Firm. Thank you so much for all that you do and for sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> No están buscando amor No están buscando amor Deja que te lleve el ritmo Así es que me gusta así mismo La noche está pa' más No me limito La música está buena Y no resisto Salen pa' que 
Cuando ponen la música le damos con todo. A quien no le gusta una latina bailando reggaetón. Vente, si quieres probar. Vete, si te vas a enamorar. Hasta que no nazca no paramos. Se acaba la fiesta si no vamos. Con este la apagado. Ellas salen pa' que la Half of the U.S.'s teachers will be eligible to retire over the next decade. Filling their shoes will be challenging since nine of 10 top tier students don't view teaching as a desirable profession. While the urgent need to fill teaching positions does create a labor crisis, it also presents an opportunity to transform K through 12 education in America by recruiting our nation's brightest students to the profession. If you ever wanted to be a teacher, the time is now. Amazing things are happening in teaching today. Find out more at teach.org. 90.1 KPFT Houston.